Hey, this is Jonathan from 80s Box, and we're here in the lovely Kentucky Center for the Arts, where we're in the midst of the Bourbon Classic. This is a Louisville's big celebration of what attorney Lionel Hutz called the brownest of the brown liquors. Um, a big event that's happening, and we decided since we're, we're going to have a whole bunch of great bourbon minds, bourbon podcasters, bourbon bloggers, that we get us all together and record one massive podcast. So uh, so that's what we're doing here, and I thought I'd start by just uh, going around the table and uh, and everybody say who you are and what your uh, what your outlet is. I'm good old boy Zane with Sip, Suds, and Smokes. Hey, it's good old boy Mike. And I'm also from Sips, Suds, and Smokes. And Mike is running our sound. I should give him a shout-out right now. <laughs> this is Bill with Modern Thirst. And this is Matt with Modern Thirst. Uh, Chris with Bottom of the Barrel. Melissa with Bourbon and Banter. This is Darren with Bottom of the Barrel. This is Charlie with the Charlie Tonic Hour. And that makes me Jenny Tonic with uh, Charlie Tonic Hour and Bourbon and Banter. Dual representation. <laughs> I'm Tamara with the Eight Piece Box. And uh, so we wanted to start by thanking a few people. We've had a, a great few days. want to give a shout-out to, uh, to Dan and Four Roses, definitely. I uh, want to thank Lorraine and the Bourbon Classic for giving us some space here to record. Uh, we want to thank uh, Larry at Mint Julep Tours for being awesome. Larry for life. Go, Larry. Larry, Larry for awesome. life. Uh, hashtag Larry for life. And uh, we want to thank the late, great Elmer T. Lee for uh, fueling today's, uh, today's podcast exploits. So we've, uh, we've been on the road for a couple of days. We've uh, been able to travel around a little bit and see some great stuff. So uh, we started at um, two days ago, I guess, at Kentucky Peerless. So who wants to talk a little bit about our experience over there? I'll just mention that I, you know, I live here in Louisville, and, and I've, I've probably driven past Sixth um, Street fifty times and didn't even realize where it was because um, it's, it's just on the side of Main Street. It is, you don't it's t- just tend to far go enough to. out that, that it's hard to uh, to quite see unless you're looking for it. I'm gonna break the glass. The dude loves his wood. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he is. Uh, he he does love the wood. Yeah, and it we is, should say that. <laughs> it's the most precise craft always story. Yeah, 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 yeah. Were you the one lecturing us about this being a family yeah. bourbon <laughs> no. podcast? Just How long did that started? take? Really? Although yeah. I, th- I do Mark. think everyone likes the wood. Listen or wouldn't to the be podcast, here. have you? <laughs> <laughs> it's not that family. But you were saying about precision. Yeah, I mean, so I've never seen a craft distillery as obsessed with precision. I think everything he showed us, he said, this is within half a pound of grain. You know, everything is within half a pound. We yeah, a quarter of a degree, a tenth of a degree temperature. Yeah. And yeah. Well, and he was talking about doing that so that everything is always consistent. But you're working with agricultural products, and you're always going to have some inconsistency just with your base ingredients. So I'm not sure that that level of precision yeah. is really necessary. Well, I think you know, you want to control what you can. You know, the things that, that you can have under your control, you, you want to try to do what you can with. And this is, and I think it's an example, and we'll talk about Old Taylor as well. I mean, the problem with opening a bourbon distillery is that you can't really have any product for a few years. You know, for at least, um, you know, legally two to four years, you can't release anything called bourbon. Um, you can release other things. And, and they, were, they had some moonshine, mm-hmm. lucky. Some, flavor, some lucky, lucky moonshine that they, they had, which was... Interesting. I mean, it was not not horrible, but he was very uh, unapologetically saying, "Like, yeah, it's moonshine. It's not good." Like most distilleries, yeah, they, keep the lights they at on least try to like put their heart into it. And be like, "Yeah, this is great moonshine. You're gonna love this." And he wasn't even trying to yeah. convince us. Well, but. you know, I thought what was uh, interesting about the concept of of laying in a PLC unit right from the get go was exactly the level of precision and when you think about some of the most interesting products 
that have come about have been a result of a mistake. Mm-hmm. I used too much corn. I used too much water. I happened to, you know, uh, get a, a, a rogue, you know, yeast strain, and there's a lot of head nodding going around the room here. So, you know, the the thing is is that uh, I really wonder if they're almost allowing some of the natural artisanship, you know, to come through. You know, that was mm-hmm. part of the – remember that was part of the discussion we had kind of walking walking back was – what is the craft part of the craft distillery mm-hmm. if everything is just a matter of precision? Aren't you just another scaled-down version of uh, Diageo? You know, exactly. it's, it's called marketing. But yeah. I think yeah. I think Tamara hit on something really interesting though, because not every batch of corn is going to yield the same amount of sugar, yeah. Yeah. depending on the on the crop conditions and and when it was harvested. So even if they're going to try to be the most consistent distillery in the world, it's, there's a very good chance that they're not going to be that consistent by because they're trying to be so consistent. Whereas a Marianne Barnes or someone else who might go in and, and taste the distillate coming off and say, this isn't as sweet as it normally is, or uh, there's something I don't like. There and tweak I'm going to tweak is, the next batch yeah. to blend it together. The or whole single like barrel market is built on the fact yeah. that every barrel is right. unique, right? I mean, there's a yeah, huge market. If, in if every barrel were every, the same, then uh, they'd all be the exist. same. Yeah, just... Like I'm still okay with them no trying it. Yeah. I mean, I think if you want to try to control what you can, so. control what you can, yeah, and and then let those variations come out. You know, you can can do that. But it was, I thought it was a pretty. It's a great facility. I mean, they're clearly this is a facility with a lot of history. They were one of the distilleries that had a medicinal license during prohibition that they were able to uh, to keep distilling during those days. I believe is what they were saying. And uh, DSB fifty. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they're they're fifty uh, in the, and they said what they're up to. What are what are the numbers they're giving 20, out now? Twenty thousand, thirteen, and, yeah. and, and yeah. past. Yeah. yeah, yeah, in the twenty thousands. So so you know maybe fifty. That's just amazing. Well, and I think I, the most important thing is that they let us taste a ten month old. I think it was uh, yeah. ten month old rye, rye. Right. rye, and it was fantastic. It was delicious. I, I could drink it today. At, at 10 months, it was absolutely fantastic. I can't even imagine what it's going to be at two years. Yeah, yeah it's way better than the will at two years already. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that is going to be good stuff. Back at the facility itself, the thing that surprised me the most is I had no idea there was warehousing in downtown Louisville of yeah. any, any whiskey, and they mm. had several thousand space for several thousand barrels there. Can we say fire violations? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> he, he did say it was the only, I think, Code 1 uh, flammable storage in, in downtown Louisville. It was, yeah. was their warehouse, and it was very surprising. Yeah, coming soon to a news report. Yeah. Yeah. So when you hear the Great Louisville Fire. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, so yeah, that was a great uh, – we started there. And then we went over to uh, d- down the street to Copper and Kings, which is a brandy uh, distillery. They've been around for a few years here in, in Louisville. And uh, we got to hear uh, a lot about making brandy. I'd never been on a brandy tour before. I don't think I'd ever been to a place where they made brandy. Had anybody else? No, I've been to Copper and Kings uh, once before, mm-hmm. uh, and I've seen uh, I've seen the owner speak several times. Yeah. But, um, I don't think you could have two more opposite craft distilleries in yeah. one one visit in one day. It was I did, we did get there. I said like, this is literally the most hipster place I've ever been. Yeah, <laughs> they had That's Monarch Butterfly Refuge in the, in yeah. the front yard, and it, like there are shipping containers involved. It's yeah. Uh, yeah. It it is a little, and, and I'm not that's I'm not disparaging. I use hipster in a uh, neutral way, I suppose. But it was uh, <laughs> very, uh, yeah. And so we get to Copper and Kings, and we went down into the basement where they age a lot of the brandy, and uh, they've got a lot of their barrels down there. And we hear uh, this is what we hear. So there's just ACDC blasting at teeth rattling levels. Teeth rattling <laughs> levels. 
it was really like you know it, it took me back to high school is what it did um, you were in in my high school you were issued a copy of that album <laughs> minus um, the black lights for yeah us. pretty pretty much who has the tat <laughs> can't blame that. Got all the rest of them, but yeah. not that one. But you know, and we, here we thought, hey, they're just hanging out, they're having a good time. But uh, but apparently, this is something they call sonic aging, where they uh, have a more temperature controlled area in their basement. The ordinarily within a bourbon warehouse, the temperature variations over the course of the year pulls the liquor in and out of the wood. Uh, you don't have that in that uh, level of control. So the the sound waves they say pulsate and pulsate the the liquid inside the barrels and makes it extract flavor from the wood. It was something like um, the uh, <laughs> the ethanol was lighter than the water, so it would ricochet off the barrel and then come back in. Bull crap. I think it was also yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> it was also a philosophical thing for them. You know, yeah. he, all the stills were named after women in Bob Dylan songs, and he repeatedly well, then I buy, you know, mentioned. Yeah. It was like ISIS. Their, and their new names. series. Their new series is called Kraftwerk, so. <laughs> <laughs> which I can't say without the German inflection, but still yeah, yeah. Um, Kraftwerk. But uh, yeah, so it, you know, I think they're they're trying to tie it into their whole music philosophy. I'd like to like to see them try some single barrel lines. So this is our ACDC line. We yeah, only yeah. played Back in Black the entire time. This <laughs> because 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 a few minutes later, we uh, you know the the ACDC goes away and, and it switches to Chicago mm-hmm. uh, from from the Chicago Seventeen, I believe it was You're the Inspiration, and here. <laughs> so so we're wondering, you know, you, and I agree, and we're like, does I, I'm guessing the ACDC brandy is much better. Uh, at least much, much cooler. I, I think that they that should be part of the label disclosure, you yeah. know, on the back of the branding. This branding was, was made with the following uh, choices of music and playlists. Like a set you list. Know, yeah. with it, yeah. It's like, dude, I'm not biting the Peter Cetera bottle. Okay, <laughs> yeah. it's not happening. I you know, more manly. There is, but, yeah. there is nothing worthy of air supply and brandy <laughs> in the same bottle. Yeah. What was it? They, they, said they had played everything except Katy Perry down there. Like, that was that, the line for that. Okay, okay. I want to go for the Barry White, though. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm ready. Oh, yeah. The, the bong rattling bass. Uh, oh, if there's not a Nickelback series, I'm not buying. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think that, one, that one's going to sit on the shelf for a while. Maybe Canada. That one will sell in Canada. Yeah. Next to the Bieber, the, uh, the Bieber the, line. The Canadian yes. market. The Nickelback Bieber line. <laughs> Celine Dion. I will admit that I went in and I was rolling my eyes so hard when I first walked in. Mm-hmm. But, and it. By the end of the, of the trip, I was like, actually, I think this is this was pretty good stuff. Um, that could be because they left us kind of alone in a room with a lot of their bottles. Yeah, <laughs> which yeah, always works well for marketing. We lots of their bottles. Yeah. We got ushered out eventually at one point. Yeah, yeah, we got. We sort of <laughs> got. Are you guys still here? We sort of yeah. got bum rushed. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't so much that we had to, you know, go back to the hotel, but we clearly could not stay there. Anymore. Yeah. yeah. Wait, yeah, you guys are still here? Oh, crap. <laughs> how, how many laps did you fall asleep in? But, uh, <laughs> yeah. That was the next day. <laughs> oh, okay. But so, so we got to try all these, and I think, I think a lot of us were really blown away. The craft by work was amazing. The craft work ones were amazing. And uh, describe these, what's, what's going on with these. They're, the, the craft works are brandy. I guess it's their sort of reserve brandy, but it's aged in barrels that were previously used to age uh, four different types of beer. Um, and so it's kind of interesting because the barrels were originally to age bourbon, and then they were aging beer, and now they're aging brandy. So it's beer, bourbon, brandy, brandy. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, some of us that, you know, cross over and cover, you know, a lot of the, you know, beer products. Um, the thing that I liked was the cross-marketing, you know, hitch that they were getting off this. I mean, it would allow, you know, a lot of people that maybe have not approached brandy to see, hey, this is the Three Floyds, you know, Dark Lord you know, uh, marketing and much like you see, uh, in brewing with collaboration brewing that, 
uh, sometimes the strength of two is a lot more powerful this, than the strength of one, and there's a lot of people, you know, you know, nodding head. So I thought it was interesting that they picked uh, collaboration with somebody that was not in, you know, uh, the same industry. So um, I thought would have been an interesting play would for them to actually pair up with a French-based, you know, brandy maker and mm-hmm. possibly blend something, you know, mm-hmm. and something very unique. But the flavor profile, especially off the ones that that were the IPA, those were uh, kind of interesting. Um, it reminded me some of the uh, Corsair uh, hop series. So some of you have seen the um, hop series that Derek does at Corsair that mm-hmm. they'll introduce a lot of hops. And Corsair makes both beer and spirits. And so this was an interesting playoff, some of that same concept where somebody was making brandy and then dropping it in a fortified barrel that had been utilized for, you know, actually aging beer. And uh, we'll see how it does in the marketplace. Yeah. Um, I think they said the run was 1,100 bottles. Is that about yeah, it's right? it's not a yeah. lot. And, yeah. and we was, bought a bunch of them, I think. Yeah, forty nine ninety nine or something. I think we all took a bottle. It's 50 bucks. And, and for <laughs> all of us to actually break out, you know, the cash yeah. and buy this, that says an awful lot. So yeah, these are people I'm not going to ask you to rate like it or tell me what you think. <laughs> You've already put your money where your mouth yeah. is. So Yeah. And I think the the one that we that I liked uh, the best that we ended up buying was the uh, uh, there was a smoked Scotch ale uh, mm-hmm. from Against the Grain, which that is right great. here, right yeah. down the street from where they are. That was uh, my favorite. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. the one we ended up buying, and it's uh, and we actually picked up a bottle when we were at Against the Grain the other day. We got a bottle of that uh, of that Scotch ale, so I can't. And actually, uh, this this podcast will be airing afterwards, but tomorrow. Or well, actually, Monday they're having their release party for these, and they're mm-hmm. going to pair the beers with the brandies. That'd be so much fun. Um, so that would be a blast. Yeah. So I can't wait. Ultimate to tr- Boilermaker. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I can't wait to try those at home. And you know, brandies not something. Inception. But they also had they also had some absinthe. They make absinthe there. Uh, what did everybody think of their of their absinthe? I think I can still taste it a little bit. Actually, <laughs> it does stay with you. Yeah, and this is because the oils in absinthe have a, have a way of lingering on the tongue, so they were very clear. You know, look, taste everything else you're going to taste, and then do the absinthe. Well, just as we walked into the actual uh, dis- distillation room, just as we walked in that, there was just this huge licorice. You know, just smacked you right in the nose, and. And I didn't recognize that that was what they made there, and and kind of threw me off. I was like, did somebody like drop a bottle of something in here, you know? And so yeah, they were actually had finished a run of uh, absinthe, uh, you know, actually that morning. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the thing that kind of caught me about those products is, uh, to me, absinthe is really good until you start dropping a bunch of flavors into it, mm-hmm. and then it's like you're going down the path of kind of creating more of a flavor profile than a fortified product that is of natural grains that you're actually infusing the flavor and i thought that they did a good job of not going overboard with a lot of the flavors and they had four different varieties you know of their particular version there but i think my favorite part about that discussion from uh the distiller was if you're seeing absinthe that is actually green it is a food it's, dye that's yeah, been added into the product, and real the real mm-hmm. absinthe product is actually going to be uh, crystal clear. So, for those of you that are walking around in New Orleans and looking, mm-hmm. you know, for the the green fairy, it, it's not green. It's a it, clear fairy. It should be white. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> the white fairy. Well, so uh, so that was Thursday, and then yesterday we we had a really nice day. We started off down at uh, Four Roses, actually not at the main distillery. We were at the bottling facility where they. Uh, which is about an hour away from the the distillery. They 
Um, they distill in one place and then they bottle and, uh, and package in another one. Uh, but we went through essentially their barrel picking process. And if you're not aware of Four Roses, they have ten, they have uh, two different mash bills, one high rye and one low rye, and then they have five different yeast strains. So they essentially have ten different bourbons that they make, and uh, their products are various blends of those things. But um, well, we got to try nine of those ten. Uh, did anybody have any uh, any revelations on that? What did y'all think of? I, I just thought it, you know I'd, I'd been to Four Roses once before and and I, I really like their bourbon but their their actual process of picking a barrel is darn near impossible because mm-hmm. they have so many different options. By the time you're done with it, you're not so much picking the one you like the most. You're picking the one that is the most different from everything else mm-hmm. because you've had so many barrel strength bourbons. It's hard to really decide. Well, I like the sweetness of this one. And inevitably, you wind up with that V-strain almost yeah. every time. We actually picked the F, but mm-hmm. you wind up with that V-strain, which is the standard single barrel yeah. that's released because it's the most different from everything else. Mm-hmm. But when you get home with it and you get that one home and you taste it versus other ones and you're only tasting side by side, mm-hmm. inevitably, everyone always says, gosh, I wish I picked a different one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought it was a great experience to really see how the yeast changes the flavor um, and, and comparing them with the different mash bills. I'd never done that before, the, the, done the whole uh, 10 recipe taste comparison and it was fascinating you you normally think when you're dealing with a distilled product that the yeast flavors are going to get distilled right out and they actually don't it's actually pretty impressive when you get to see side by side with the exact same grain bills the differences that you get in them well and it is a from a home brewer's perspective it gave me um, that you can always buy the you know tiny little envelopes of yeast that are 50 cents in the or you can pay six dollars for the white yeast uh, uh, products that are very specific to the ale style or specific to the style of whatever you're making and i always wonder is it actually worth it is it actually going to be that different yeah i believe mm-hmm. it is uh, i think four roses has pretty much proved that that uh, that the yeast is going to make a huge difference in your product well, so the one thing that struck me about that uh, experience was how commoditized that uh, entire process was. I almost felt like you, you're you almost seeing the man behind the, the mirror mm-hmm. or behind the screen for understanding the concept of what Four Roses is doing with their barrel selection program. And this is not like a one-off, you know, they've done this mm-hmm. like, you know, just for a couple of retailers, you know, here and there. This is an active part of their marketing program mm-hmm. to have a barrel selection process. And I think that seeing that it's done really well. Mm-hmm. I've been to several you know, barrel selections where it's like they just roll out the barrels and the thieves and start you know, serving stuff up and sniff mm-hmm. and swirl and you know, spit and going, you know, well, let's try four or five. And yeah, that don't. Yeah. This was a lot more organized uh, and commoditized. But again, I think you were seeing the, the crossover between. Um, what typically is left to the master distiller, you're really getting to see, you know, a lot of the retail space being pulled into the actual manufacturing, you know, process through an organized marketing activity. And I thought that was kind of interesting. The other thing that struck me is that trying nine different uh, uh, barrel strength bourbons, uh, and they were fairly healthy pours of uh, barrel strength bourbons at uh, at 1030 in the morning. And white dog, too. And yeah. some, white dog. some white dog on top of it. Um, is a great way to start your day. Jenny uh, can attest to that. If you if you don't have anything else to do and you got somebody driving you around for the rest of the day, um, then then it's a fantastic way to start take, the day. Take we a little nap on the bus. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, now that we also got to tour their bottling facility, which they're building a new bottling facility, and they took us to the, what's going to be their new bottling room, um, or as I would call it, a freaking airplane hangar. Yeah, it's massive. Uh, compared because the I mean the one they have now is like the size of my bedroom at home. I mean it's really not it, you know this tiny little line, and you think wow they bottle all the four roses right here. It's pretty impressive, but. Uh, but then their new facility is just massive. I mean, literally, it's probably a couple of basketball courts you could, mm-hmm. could put in there. Um, and uh, they've got a walkway over that they're going to take people over for tours. And, uh, I mean, and right now it's empty. Right now it's completely empty. They're, they're just now building the facility. But, um, but I can't believe how much they're growing. And they still are going to do all the single-barrel labels by hand, they said, because mm-hmm. they haven't figured out a machine that can do that weird-shaped bottle, I think. Mm-hmm. Which should be interesting for the yeah. volume they're wanting to put out pretty yeah, soon. Yeah, really. If they're really going to ramp up that much, they're just going to have to get an army of people. Because they had, I mean, their bottom line was run by, what, four people, mm-hmm. four or five people in there. That would be part of the tour. Yeah, you get you get to label a few bottles. It makes them legally handcrafted. Lick, yeah. stick, yeah. and we're yeah. walking. Lick, stick, yeah. and we're walking. Yeah. <laughs> right at a few of these. Right out a few labels while on your way. That'd be great. Well, they're and moving to so much. It's going to be so much more automated. I would think they, they could have a few more people signing bottles. And yeah. They it makes it a little more economically people. feasible if you don't have as many people in production to well, yeah. that get packaging. them all a Sharpie and send them on their way. Yeah. Definitely yeah. that whole concept of that packaging facility reminded me an awful lot of Sierra Nevada Mills River. Mm. Uh, or Mills Creek, I'm sorry. Uh, and where you could... They had a catwalk that, you know, was kind mm-hmm. of over that was it was built for as a, you know, a tourist, you know, production facility. Mm-hmm. But even hearing that they were going from a six fill head to a 40 fill head, yeah. um, you know, uh, after seeing some things like that happen in some other, you mm-hmm. know, beverage, you know, packaging facilities, I, I can definitely I, I've seen the backside of of that, how what that looks like completed. And I think it's going to be pretty cool. And I think yeah. a lot of people will want to walk through. But, yeah, it's, you know, take a sip, lick one, stick one, and we're walking. I'm still, <laughs> I'm still not. I asked them this specifically, too. I'm not entirely sure that the logistics of this are going to work out for them. I know as the, the, the Diageo contract ends and they take on 40% additional capacity on the stills because they're no longer producing for Bullet, um, they're still talking. If you add 40% on the mm-hmm. production side, they're bottling and packaging. They're adding. They're, they're mul- it, it's a multiple um, times yeah. increase in the production capacity. So I, I, I still feel like there is going to be a bottleneck at some point mm-hmm. of uh, the yeah. amount that they can produce versus no the amount they can intended. put in a bottle. <laughs> but no pun intended. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, I, I feel like this is going to lead. We already saw yesterday how they, they didn't have enough of one of their recipes for us to taste. They, mm-hmm. they just don't have enough to continue to put out yellow label and, and produce the same amount of. Of liquor, I think you're going to see more and more of that going forward with Four Roses. Initially, probably a big rush on the market, followed by inability to get certain mash bills. And well, and we want to give another big shout out to Dan from Four Roses, who uh, uh, really took good care of us over the the course of the last couple of days. And I have to I have to interject there also. To, thanks to Dan for because at one point I did see a photo of Jenny Tonic literally asleep in his lap. <laughs> so not only taking care of us I as thought, a crew, I, but, I deleted that photo. Yeah, I have one actually. from the other angle that looks a little bit dirtier than yeah. <laughs> that. That is that Didn't is a care full us. care experience. <laughs> yes, it was definitely. We did get the definitely above get and the beyond experience. the call of duty. It's but, the Rachel Rally <laughs> Award. It's official <laughs> next year. <laughs> the Lazarus Award. Yeah, <laughs> back from the near dead. Um, <laughs> so so we moved on from there, and we went over to a very interesting place called the uh, the Old Taylor Distillery, which is um, which ha- is not producing any liquor just yet. Uh, it's in fact, it was a very old distillery, very historic distillery that uh, produced its last bottle in I believe 1972. Mm-hmm. They were saying still had some barrels aging, 
um, for Your a while. Your last tour that. in the late 70s, they said maybe. Yeah. So it's been a long time, uh, and this uh, property was recently in the last, I think they said it was about two and two years and change ago, they, uh, it was bought, it was, uh, uh, it was bought up, uh, and then they hired uh, Marianne Barnes, who is a, uh, uh, who is a distiller from, uh, a taster from Brown Foreman to be their, uh, to be their master distiller. So we got to tour this facility with Marianne and with the, the partners who own the, the facility, and I thought it was fascinating. What did you guys think? It was amazing. Love it. amazing yes. That was definitely the high point of, yeah. of the week. I mean, the property so itself history. is just amazing. Um, but you see how much work they've done so far to get it very close to <laughs> being able to start producing its yeah. own stuff. And then you walk through all the different buildings and realize how much farther they still mm-hmm. have to go before the whole thing is done. It's, it's an undertaking. And it it's, was responsible for bourbon tourism. It was the mm-hmm. beginning of not only that and of bottled bourbon in any sort of mainstream market, which is, you know, mm-hmm. the beginning of what we all are doing at this point. Yeah. And this was it's absolutely walking into a piece of bourbon history. It's yeah. this place you go and you can't even imagine the scale, the the amount of land that Old Taylor Distillery takes up and the buildings and everything. And the team at Old Taylor is doing a really great job. And at this was distillery. built as a show place. It was really built by Colonel Taylor uh, as a show place. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, as a castle and there's all these, you know, winds. I think they said their gardens were based on Windsor Castle's yeah. uh, gardens. And they've tried to restore a lot of that. They brought in some uh, serious landscape architects who really made those gardens beautiful again. And these were grown up. I mean, these were just basically grown over. They had to, you know, hack away with machetes to get down mm-hmm. to these yeah, fountains. It, it felt exactly like a Sleeping Beauty's castle kind of yeah. a feeling. Oh, right, when the prince comes and everything. Yeah, everything's <laughs> grown over yeah. and yeah. frozen in time. And The bourbon prince. <laughs> the bourbon prince. <laughs> I, well, really, I really did enjoy that they are growing a lot of their own... Um, Botanicals, botanicals yeah. right. for use for in gin. gin and some other products down the road. They're going to grow those right on on site, literally with walking paths for tourists to go through and do yeah, some Kentucky native neat. stuff and some weird things like catnip, which yeah. should be neat. And I think the and and they're supposedly going to have some yeah. some gin on the market by June because they've got right now a double gin still, and they said that even they could have. They could do custom, you know, small run batches. If you wanted 20 cases of, of a particular recipe of gin, they could do that for you. Yeah. So um, we get to talk about their uh, new stuff right here. Yeah. 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 Excellent <laughs> key. Excuse me. So, uh, <laughs> so a, uh, uh, a bus, uh, bus, uh, is cl- bus club exclusive is that uh, the name of their brand that they're going to produce out of the Old Taylor Distillery is going to called Castle and Key. So uh, that's going to be the official name for these products. And um, uh, Marianne went through a wide variety of their product lineup. So Jonathan talked a little bit about they're going to make a couple of – Four different versions of gin. Yeah, they're gonna have a few gins out, and then um, I can't. There, I know they're gonna do some bourbon. They're gonna get some. It's bourbon gonna be a in. bottle, a bottled and bond bourbon. Yeah, bottled and bond bourbon. I think that's gonna be their. They want their flagship I product. Think all to be of a us stood up and applauded when she yeah. said that. I <laughs> yeah. mean, I was just like, wow! You talk about so worthy of making that. You know, in this facility. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. going really back cool. to that. That being Colonel Taylor's uh, passion was the bonded. Uh, uh, wanted the preferred the bonded version so i think that's that's definitely keeping in the history and of course they can't use the name i mean they can't use the the ta- taylor name that's owned by uh, sazerac yeah. owned by sazerac mm-hmm. so they have to uh, uh so they had to come up with a new name for their product but i think it's going to be fantastic i think that the passion behind that place is so evident yeah so be sure and check all of our particular uh, media outlets for more information on castle and key products as yeah. well as uh, keep your eyes peeled for uh you know those products showing up maybe as production 
hits uh you know in six or seven months you know from now so yeah. and i think that place will be set up as a bourbon trail you know destination tourist place maybe another year or i think so. i think in a year yeah. or two it's i think in five years it's going to be stunning oh, I it's going to be gonna, amazing it's going to be it's uh, like uh, the disneyland for bourbon drinkers yeah i think it's it's going to be a destination no no doubt well i was actually thinking more like the biltmore than yeah the biltmore a little biltmore uh biltmore vibe. hopefully they won't charge like a hundred dollars to get in it's a small batch after all i was thinking a little a little ride you know that it's a small world after all just well they do have the train tracks. <laughs> yeah, there are train tracks already. So yeah. I, I can see Rachel just getting stuck on that on that ride for days. On end. <laughs> yeah. it's, a, it's a good place to be stuck. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to be stuck. Uh, well, so we uh, so we finally got back and got to do some of uh, the official Bourbon Classic. Uh, for us, kicked off last night. Uh, there have been a lot of events this week, uh, but we all made it to uh, uh, we made it to the cocktail competition last night. This is where they have nine different uh, teams. And it's a small plate. It's a local chef. Uh, they're not all local. They actually were a, few, uh, a couple that were brought in from elsewhere. One from Pittsburgh, and one from, um, and one from New Orleans, from Dickie Brennan's. And uh, the rest are, are local. But they pair a chef with a bartender. The chef does a uh, small plate. The bartender does a cocktail, and they do two different ones. They for the first hour and a half, they do a classic cocktail compared with, paired with a, a small plate, and then the second ninety minutes they do a contemporary cocktail. Uh, paired with a small plate. So what thoughts did anybody have about this? Lots and lots and lots of bitters and lots of ginger. Lots of bitters. Uh, Very bitter. I I honestly, I I, I try to compare this to last year, and and what I really came away with is I don't really feel like a lot of the teams got together beforehand between the bartenders and and the chefs. I feel like they each probably came with something that they really liked. I think they probably, like, collaborated with it, but I don't feel like they tasted them together and tweaked Mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah, it it just didn't feel like that. I didn't feel like a lot of the cocktails and the food really meshed it all together. A a few did, but, you know, uh, a couple did. But uh, I guess the... uh, overall feeling I got with the classic round the problem is how do you make classic cocktails interesting uh, and, and something interesting and new because you know there's a couple of boulevardiers Frank I, I, don't get me wrong I love boulevardiers uh, I make them at home all the time but you know it's three ingredients they're equal uh, in equal parts and it's just hard to make that interesting all right we're here at the at the bourbon classic at the Kentucky Center for the Arts talking with our our bunch we were talking about our <laughs> Uh, we were getting some weird hand signals from our sound guy. Um, I, I know what that one means. Uh, that that one I'm familiar with. Intimately, <laughs> everybody's looking around like, can, hand can we say the word? Away. This is what happens when you get a bunch of bourbon writers together. You're number one, Jonathan. <laughs> You've almost killed the bottle. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we have, yeah our, our bottle of Elmer is reaching the bottom. Uh, so we were talking about the cocktail competition, and I was saying that you know a Boulevardier, how interesting can that be? I love it, but it's three ingredients, and uh, and it really, if you mess with any of those three ingredients, I think you're probably you know there's a reason those three are there. Not ice. <laughs> uh, I, I, are on the. I, I like them on the rocks. I make them on the rocks usually. I mean, it's a Negroni. It's a Negroni yeah, with bourbon. A so. Brony, if you yeah, will. It's a Brony. <laughs> brony. <laughs> uh, but as far as uh, so, you know, I just. But there were a couple. Like there was one. It was the folks from Dickie Brennan's had a Last Word, which is a cocktail I'm really fond of with gin and chartreuse and maraschino and lime juice all in equal portions. And they uh, messed with the proportions a little bit, but then they swapped out bourbon for the gin. And I thought that was a great way to make a classic cocktail. 
that is not the Manhattan that I drink all the time, uh, but it's still a classic cocktail that they've incorporated some bourbon into in a unique way. Um, and there were a few others like that. There was a great whiskey sour um, that I thought in that first round, I, I can't, uh, I, I should have looked up who made that one, unfortunately. But, um, that was from 8-Up. It may have been from 8-Up, but there was a, uh, it was just a, a whiskey sour that was made with the egg white, made the proper way. Um, yeah, that was with the good. Egg white, but we had a little pecan uh, liqueur mm-hmm. in it that I thought gave it a really nice. Uh, that was that was probably my favorite of the of the first round uh, of that that classic round. And then uh, so what? Uh, then what about the contemporary round? Anybody have any thoughts on those for the most part? That gets a little fuzzy for me. The longer <laughs> the night goes, the more it all becomes this reasons. big amber bourbon haze. Well, and I, I was talking with. <clears throat> with Tamara about uh, the great fashion icon Coco Chanel once said uh, uh, that before a woman leaves the house she should take one accessory off uh, and I think a lot of times when you're dealing with cocktails like this you, the same rule applies before mm-hmm. you actually serve the drink leave one thing out of it and maybe that's uh, yeah I think there were a lot of drinks that needed to leave a lot of things out more than one like <laughs> dude just pack up and go home you leave, know, leave everything out for, but the bourbon yeah, yeah. Um, that's right <laughs> so we were <laughs> so I said that uh there was one major ingredient you just don't make with bourbon. Do not put pepper into a bourbon drink. It already has rye in it. It's kind of interesting. What is the point? I mean, of course, you know. I like coffee and bourbon together, yeah. and they had enough sweetness in there to counteract and tone down the pepper. I thought it really worked. So now, I did think the one at Silver Dollar, the old Rough and Ready, was a little bit better. Mm-hmm. I preferred that one, but. Yeah. You know, I think the issue with the one at Silver Dollar, though, is the bartender didn't have a big enough handlebar mustache. Yeah. The, uh, <laughs> the there wasn't enough mustache wax in the, the drink. The official, yeah. <laughs> the official criteria for uh, judging was flavor, creativity, and whiskers. Yeah. Um, so, so next year, I'm going to come and... instruments from your mustache. If your name... Yeah. It's really insufficient. <laughs> if you look like your name should be Phineas, then... I like that. So, uh, so next wear- year, I'm going to be in the cocktail competition. I'm, I'm going to... My name will be Phineas, just for you, Darren. <laughs> And I'm going to have a waxed handlebar mustache. I'm going to be wearing a short sleeve, you know, shirt with a little bow tie Mm -hmm. job on it. And I've decided that the perfect drink is I'm going to have a cup of, you know, a a two-ounce pour of Willet and a a barber pole straw. (laughs) (laughs) I like the idea. One thing on that: long sleeves with sleeve garters. Oh, Oh, there you go. You you basically have to have to look like you're an 1872 riverboat captain. Yeah, or you need or you need one of those unitards with uh, like like striped unitards with uh, ludicrously large. And uh, you have to ride up on your penny farthing. Uh, What I'm I'm going to go with replace the straw with a Twizzler with the ends cut off, so you're going to get that younger crown. (laughs) I think for the pediatric. Yeah. What's funny about this conversation is everybody remembers what all the bartenders were wearing, but we can barely remember the drinks. That says something, I think. (laughs) This is the thing about this this cocktail, and we've done this, this is like the fourth year, or third third or fourth year we've done this, and it is um, it's a sprint because you've got 90 minutes mm-hmm. to get in nine small pl- – and these are mini cocktails. But anybody who uh, went to college and played the game of Century, um, <laughs> which is where oh, you yeah. drink one ounce of beer uh, every minute for 100 minutes, um, knows that those things add up. Uh, so after you've had nine of them and then you've had nine more uh, in the course of another hour and a half, then you're feeling pretty swank. It's entirely possible that a fellow member of your website might even fall asleep in the Uber on the way home afterwards. <laughs> it's entirely possible. I think that I think that occurred. Almost a given. Yeah, we, yeah. we, but we rallied. We had a, and then we had a great time last night at Eight Up. Uh, several of us went over to Eight Up, so we want to give them a shout out too. They yeah. uh, did as well. Went over to Haymarket Whiskey Bar. Uh, Matt Landon has always done, and and actually that's something we didn't talk about. But one of the great yeah. things we got to do the other night. 
uh, we went to the Haymarket Whiskey Bar where uh, Matthew Landon runs one of the best whiskey bars in anywhere. A good sipping zone on sip suds and smokes. No doubt. And uh, But one thing that, uh, that Matt also is passionate about is vintage. He collects vintage spirits. Um, so we got to try a Four Roses from 1966. This is not a bourbon, uh, should be stressed. It was a blended whiskey from 1966. And what did everybody think about that? It wasn't very good. Yeah. <laughs> a blended whiskey from 1966. I've got the actual recipe here. It was not, you know, what I would want to sit around and drink all the time. But at the same time, it really kind of satisfied something visceral. Because, you know, it had all these tobacco and leather and sweet corn uh, notes to it. So it was like someone had taken my childhood, you know, playing in the drying barn and, you know, messing with the horses and just distilled it down into one drink. Yes, but the times have changed. Yeah. <laughs> the tastes have as well. It sounds more like a college this is, drink. And yeah. this is very much the, the bottle. This was not a, a terrific bottle of whiskey at the time. This is the bottle that your grandmother would have kept hidden in the back of the china cabinet. I did not hear Elvis while we were consuming it. Yeah, it was. Uh, but, but what was the recipe from that one, Chris? So it Lousy. was 30, 35% straight whiskey, mostly four years old. 4% of it was six years old. 65% grain neutral spirits. Yeah, so this is, Yikes. This is whiskey or, flavored vodka. You know. Pretty much. It, the sweepings from the malt house. Yeah. <laughs> I got a lot of musty envelope taste. Well, yeah, yeah, like wet cardboard. Yeah. That's exactly envelope. what I look for. Well, one of our colleagues. Paper grocery bag. He, he actually used the word fuel oil. So. <laughs> so. I did, and, and I'm, but I'm, I'm with Tamara. I didn't find it. I didn't, you know, I feel. I, I would have. <laughs> you don't. Desperate people. <laughs> like, that was my question. Of, like, how do you know what it, what fuel oil tastes like? It was like sometimes a Saturday night is a Saturday night. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just admit what happens. You, you've got some Coleman fluid left, and <laughs> the stores are closed. You know, what are you going to do? <laughs> but you this was a, Yeah, but uh, but it was as, as Matt himself pointed out he said you know old spirits like this are a curiosity i mean you're just yeah. you get to, to try something that and i mean it's pretty common knowledge that you know and this was definitely madman era stuff and when they, mm-hmm. people talk a lot about you know the canadian club that don draper would would drink you know this was not great whiskey it's just what they you know what they got but this was uh so i thought it was it was interesting it was you know a nice uh thing it, was, it was a piece of bourbon history yeah. it was a good experience i'm glad that we did it but i'm glad not to have to do it again so uh I'm sorry, Darren. That's a hand signal for more E.T. Lee. Yes. <laughs> okay, I think the guy wants to talk. Oh, no, he just wants more bourbon. He it's either pass the bourbon or happy ending. I I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> so the so uh, we use stage names, you know, on our show, and I've decided the diary have Darren's is Darren with his pants on. So <laughs> Darren with his pants on. <laughs> this is a rare moment for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, yeah every text that came through was, we were, we'll be there as soon as Darren gets his <laughs> pants on. <laughs> Um. So that's been our last few days. Now we've had a good time. Pants are overrated. <laughs> so again, again, thanks to everybody who's made these last few days possible and and who's uh, taken care of us over the last few days. We're going to come back in our second segment. We're going to have uh, talk a little bit about some bourbon topics uh, that uh, that interest us. Uh, this is Jonathan from Eight Piece Box. We're coming to you from the Kentucky Center for the Arts. Uh, we'll be right back.
Welcome back. We're coming to you from the Kentucky Center for the Arts and the Bourbon Classic. This is Jonathan from Eight Piece Box. I'm here with uh, the uh, uh, some of the best bourbon minds um, out there. The uh, clothing optional tasting with Darren. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said, I think it's just pants. Off. He was wearing sweatpants. We just didn't think they were actually pants. So this is the clothing optional uh, podcast. Uh, so it is the Charles I am the newest addition yeah. to bourbon tourism. <laughs> Is, is you see Darren with his pants on is the, uh, the stunning thing. So we thought uh, for this second segment we would do a little sort of pardon the interruption style uh, segment where we just run down a few, uh, uh, a few bourbon topics that we thought were interesting, a few things that we thought people might uh, have an opinion or two on as these people kind of come together because they have opinions about bourbon. Um, so first of all, let's talk about bargain bourbon. So when people ask you what a great uh, bargain is in the bourbon world, what... If you're going for a real bargain, <laughs> I'm sorry, wrong button. Uh. <laughs> if you're really looking for a real bourbon, a, a bargain bourbon, a bourbon, a bourbon, uh, I've actually found that Jethro Tea Boots that they sell at CVS Pharmacy for nine bucks a bottle is comparable to stuff that you're going to get in the twenty dollar bottle range. It's it's as good as Buffalo Trace. Wow! At half the price, it, it's actually worth looking into. It just—I I think Colonel Quickie Mart's Kentucky <laughs> Bourbon. When I, when I, <laughs> I mean, it's one of these that you're like, I, I'm afraid to even touch that. But it turned out to be pretty good, and and most people that I, I know have tried it have said the same thing. It's right there at your local pharmacy. Interesting, because I mean, one thing that is not a great bargain is the Trader Joe's Bourbon. Oh, uh, that's no, not good. No. It's because not only is it is it lousy with this big bubblegum thing that I get from it, but it's also kind of expensive. Like, there's... I forget exactly how much it is, but it's upper teens. That automatically uh, removes it from... Yeah. yeah. I mean, because there is there's very good bourbon at that price. Uh, there's there's great stuff. What are some other favorites? I just don't know how you could beat the six-year-old Heaven Hill bottle, bottle I, and bond. You know, it's really good. Are we it, talking about not, that? Because as of, as of a year or two ago, everybody was like, you know, this is great bourbon, but don't talk about it. Yeah. Well, well it's <laughs> only really distributed in, in, a, in a very small area well, in and around in Kentucky. Kentucky. Yeah. You can yeah. get it in yeah. tennis, parts of Tennessee and, and some other places. Yeah. I'm going to cheat. Well, that's exactly how yeah. very old Barton Bottle and Bond is. It's also only distributed to yeah. Kentucky. And, and that's Heaven another Hill. really good good bourbon, yeah. bargain bourbon. And the Heaven Hill is very oaky. I think it's good for cooking because you get a lot of the great yeah. uh, uh, flavors that you want from bourbon, the big oak, that big wood. That's really what comes through in cooking a lot of times, what you want from it. And, uh, of course, it's 100 proof because it's bottled and bonded, and it's, uh, it's about, what, $12, $12, $13? Yeah. Between 11 and 13 depending yeah. on what you find. Yeah, where you get it usually at the liquor barn, you can get it for about 12 bucks. So it's. I always recommend uh, AAA. I like the yeah. H and H and H. The 10 star. Yeah. yeah, it's that's always really great. But you can't get that in Kentucky, right? We, we, we still Ohio. just outside still Kentucky. in Ohio. Yeah. We, still, so. we still try and get, we, we buy them. Buy them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's I'm great. Gonna, it's like six-ish years. I'm going to and resurrect the dead. Uh, Kentucky Tavern Bottled and Bond, which yes. is no longer made of Here course. we go. <laughs> <laughs> this is another topic entirely now. <laughs> under under $10 or so, you know, back in the day, Bottled and Bond, excellent. Bill disagrees, but that's nonsense. It was discontinued for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically young 1792. I mean, it's the same distillery. I like it. That would explain it. I'm not a huge fan yeah. of 1792. <laughs> well, I think the common part about your question is is that uh, I think people are, are confusing quality with price. And so I see this all the time in the wine world, you know, constantly. You know, people think that there's a direct correlation between price and quality or mm. price and flavor. And I think probably what you're seeing right now in the bourbon world is you're seeing a relationship to the amount of capital costs 
uh, swept up in the product and the amount of supply and demand is a greater influence of the price than of the quality itself. So Unless you're Diageo and you just charge 120 bucks for everything. Yeah. <laughs> Here, we found some corn whiskey we don't even make. <laughs> Let's put that in there. We, see what we happens. accidentally <laughs> dropped this in our <laughs> bottle. Yeah. Will anyone will buy there's, a, yeah. there's a gold bar at the bottom of every Diageo <laughs> bottle bill. Talk about your sweeping up the distillery floor. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> Well, have you heard the whiskey fungus story about that? That I don't know whether or not it's true. But the rumor is, when they bought the old Sitzelweller property, they had so much whiskey fungus in a lot of their rickhouses that they're basically falling down. And it was cheaper for them to take the barrels out, bottle it, sell it, than to take the barrels out, repair the rickhouse, and then put them back in. And so that was the story I got about what happened and why the orphan barrels are just, that, like, escaping slowly. That, that, <laughs> any, any story you hear from Diageo, yeah. don't believe it. Yeah, yeah but that one sounded real because it's like, oh, we're, we're going to lose these. So let's just bottle them. Someone will buy it. I don't think Diageo is going to be sponsoring any of our podcasts. No, I don't think so either. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not going to happen. <laughs> All right, let's move on. We'll keep this rolling. Uh, gift bourbons. This is a question I get asked a lot. Uh, so I want to get somebody a bottle of, of bourbon. Uh, and I always the question I always ask is, does that person have a lot of bourbon or do they not? Because I think that makes a difference. Yeah. So let's think about those. So so if uh, if somebody who knows nothing about bourbon wants to buy a bottle for somebody who doesn't maybe doesn't have a big bourbon collection, what uh, what do you well, think? Is there's the always certain labels like Blanton's yeah. that, that That's anyone's going to appreciate Blanton's. Yeah. So it, it doesn't it's, matter whether it's a, a you know, the, the biggest bourbon snob in the world or, an, or a novice, uh, you give them a bottle with a horse on top of it, they're going to like and, it. You know, yeah. it looks good sitting on the shelf, and that is fine. Mm. I mean, that's really, you know, like the uh, some of those bottles I'm just proud to have in the in the bar. I think Blanton's is one of those things that it just makes a good uh, a good gift, yeah. Every mm-hmm. bourbon bar should have a bottle of Blanton's on yeah. it. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It's just cool looking. Mm-hmm. Uh, I it's found good. Eagle Rare is a good gift just yeah. because yeah. it's got a cool looking bottle. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily my favorite bourbon, but... Uh, it's easy to find, and I think that's, mm-hmm. you know, for someone who's shopping for someone else who's maybe out of town or something, that's usually one they can get a hold of. Mm-hmm. Especially if you can find a single-barrel bottling from yeah, a, a local oh, yeah. retailer. Yeah, I did that big, for yeah. a friend of mine who came to Louisville from um, Minneapolis. I gave her a bottle of Eagle Rare store pick, and she really yeah. enjoyed it. Can, can I we just any bring up how, would be, how, yeah. how frustrating that is that you have to find a store pick now to find a single-barrel yeah. bottle of... Eagle Rare when it used to be the standard just right. a year and a half yeah, ago. Yeah. It's yeah. small band. And I, I, one of the gift bottles that I, I like is uh, is Four Roses Single Barrel. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that uh, – because, again, it's, mm-hmm. a, it's, a pretty, uh, it's a pretty bottle. It's delicious. Uh, it's not that expensive. And uh, it's something I like to give people when they're leaving the state. Uh, when, whenever they're moving away from Kentucky or something, I always seem to give them a bottle of Four Roses Single. So and not we, a lot of people have had it, it seems like. You ask somebody, like, oh, yeah. have you ever had Four Roses Single Barrel? Like, no, never heard of it. What's that? Well, and, yeah. and the thing to understand about, about the Four yeah, Roses Single exactly. is you know, yeah, just like we talked about all the different products that, you know, small batch and, and the single barrel are very different recipes. I mean, the small batch is made from, from four different uh, recipes that are not, that the single barrel is not the same recipe. Uh, so it's a different animal even if they have had the small batch. Uh, it's, it's not it's, really a definition of small either. We don't know how small yeah, these yeah. are. And it's, and it's, again, it's a pretty bottle. It's got a little leather strap on it. I mean, you, it's... I think it stands out alone on the palate for a lot of people, too, because yeah. there's yeah. such a big rye component to anything yeah. that even the lower rye mash bill, if it roses, yeah. is a high really rye mash pops, bill. Yeah. And, and uh, so we picked up uh, that same topic on Sip, Sudden Smokes. Mm-hmm. It's a full one-hour episode. We actually aired it during the holiday season. Mm-hmm. So, And we had two different shows. One was what would be uh, the best gift under 100 bucks mm-hmm. you would give to somebody. And the other title of the show was... 
what would be the bottle that you would take to your in-laws' house for the holidays? <laughs> <laughs> like old granddad 114, the highest question. proof. Is that, <laughs> yeah. that taking the in-laws for pajamas. yourself yeah. or for them? Because there's a big difference between yeah. those two. Right. Oh, oh, it's, it's for you, Zane. Yeah. It's for you, Zane. So one pick we out of that was absolutely George D. Stag. I mean, I, I think, well, I think well, that's worthy of it. Well, nobody can get that. Oh, yeah. You, <laughs> got, you, you got to know people. Know people, Chris. You know, you don't yeah. be, if you don't know people, then you ain't going to have no stag, okay? <laughs> so. so what about what about for somebody who's more of a bourbon, a little bit, maybe not, you know, level of doing a bourbon podcast, but uh, somebody who does love bourbon a little bit. I a mean, bigger bottle of George D. Stag. <laughs> <laughs> Well, one thing one thing that I recommended for a lot of people last year was was Knob Creek uh, single barrel, yeah, especially if you can find a barrel pick yeah. of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a good gift mm-hmm. price range, you know, forty forty bucks ish, and you can find. And a lot of people have done barrel picks of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, if, especially if you're here in Kentucky, you can go and, and find a, a unique barrel mm-hmm. of it, and it's just delicious. It's yeah. just great. Uh, great I think that's the answer. I, I think for someone who's really into bourbon, just find them some sort of a store pick. Oh, yeah. it's, it's something yeah. that Definitely. they're not going most likely not going to have a, a version of their that's, own version. And of that's why I like to take to parties. Like if you can get a single barrel like a Buffalo Trace or 1792, mm-hmm. very mm-hmm. reasonable, and you look like a badass when you show up there. Yeah. So. I always more. look like a badass. <laughs> <laughs> it is one of the more heart-wrenching, because usually we're running late to a party, and so we're going through our, our unopened collection, and it's that, it's that sweet spot of what do we really want to keep versus what do we want to and finding that that zone yes yeah from the what's too good for my friends basically right <laughs> <laughs> yeah. how, how well do i how really well do i like how well do yeah. I like <laughs> these people yeah it's a, that, that does factor into the yeah. equation am i sucking up to them yeah awesome. yeah so okay next topic and i'm gonna i'm gonna uh start with bill on this one because i know he's had some thoughts we're gonna talk about disappearing disappearing age statements um first of all not everybody listening i just want to explain really quickly what an age statement is this is a if there's a number on the bottle um if you have something that says say elijah craig 12 that means that the youngest bourbon in that bottle is 12 years old can't be anything younger than that uh you do not have to put a number on the label um, and then uh, it can be whatever you want. So uh, within reason, within laws, it has to be at least four years old and all that. But if you put a number or two, if you put an age statement, two, on. yeah, two. But if you uh, uh, but if you put a number on there, nothing can be younger. Um, so what's happening to these things, Bill? Remind me again what words I'm not allowed to say. <laughs> um, as the as as bourbons become more popular and as as um, more and more people are, are, are buying bourbon and the demand increases. Uh, the producers are finding it harder and harder to keep barrels in the warehouse. They need to move it quicker so that they can meet demand on some of the younger age products. So they, they just can't store barrels as long. So you're, you're just seeing all these old, iconic bottles that, that always had age statements on them, and that age statement is disappearing. We used to have seven years old on all the Weller bottles, and that's gone. And most recently, the one I think that's really hit close to home for me is the Elijah Craig 12-year, which was the iconic age-stated small-batch bourbon, and it has been for so long. Um, what really, I think, angered a lot of people is that a year ago they took the age off the front of the bottle and every Heaven Hill representative from the checkier, checking cashier at the gift shop up through the president of the company swore, we're not getting rid of the age statement. We just wanted to change the, the, lab, the look of the label, so we moved it to the back, and 11 months later it's uh-huh. gone. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, and, and that was frustrating. I, I do understand the, eco- the economy of the situation. I understand that it's harder and harder to age something 12 years before you move it out because you're not making any profit on it for those 12 years. You're losing just paying well, and, yeah. you can, and then what, ha- what happens is you can start off, you know, for a few months, you can say, oh, it's the same stuff, and you can make it the same stuff for a while, but then gradually you shift that yeah. flavor profile, and so you are basically got an eight-year product. And every year that you every year that you 
every barrel you take that was originally going to be a 12-year-old barrel and you move it to a younger product means that the next batch of that formerly 12-year-old product is going to be that much younger. Yeah. Until you get to whatever that new minimum is, and with no age statement on the bottle at all, it could be, four it could be a yeah. four-year-old product yeah. in five Until years, and we would never know except weird. that it tastes like garbage. <laughs> well, the thing that strikes me uh, about this is another crossover into the wine world. And so uh, how many of you have had uh, vintage Galileo? Yeah, because it did exist at one point in time. Um, and they moved much through the same path where they moved to non-vintage blends in the wine world. And uh, the thing that I don't think that the bourbon producers are recognizing here is that once you walk through that door, you cannot walk back through it. So you can't, you know, market as Elijah Quel- uh, 12 take the age statement off for five years and then bring it back and think that consumers are not going to be confused with that over time as well and so i think um this is uh one it's not a novel marketing concept at all no and the thing is is that i don't believe that a lot of these uh a lot of the producers recognize uh that they're going to have to undo what they're doing right now and what is going to be the long-term harm to their brand uh, by you know going through that one-way door, uh, because and the question I, is in five in five years are they going to come back out with an Elijah Craig twelve and charge fifty five dollars a bottle? Well, I, what I don't edition. understand is yeah, that if you if you need to put classic, out Elijah yeah. Craig if you can't support the twelve year and the volume that you're doing it now and, they, and their excuse is they want to grow the brand, I mean they want to sell more of it than they are today. Yeah. But if you can't if, if it's a matter of not being able to support what you're doing today and you want to put out a younger product, that's called Evan Williams. Yeah, you already exactly. do that. Yeah. You, you all you're doing now is is diminishing the, the, the value and the brand that you've been building for the last twenty five years. Yeah. And yeah, cheapening your premium than, stuff. You should you should increase production of your yeah. cheaper stuff, not right. decrease the, the premium. I'd pay more for the twelve. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean there's a reason Evan Williams is ten dollars a, a fifth. I mean it's fine, mm-hmm. but it's uh, you know, you pay more for a premium product for well, that for that age. Yeah, and this is exactly the problem with craft distilleries is a lot of them kind of neglect the age statement. The one that I really appreciate is Smooth Ambler. They released mm-hmm. Contradiction about two years ago, and they listed on the back how much of a percentage that it was of their two-year-old weeded bourbon and of MGP's uh, seven- or eight-year-old, or actually they use their ten-year-old um, rye bourbon. Mm-hmm. And just knowing that is something that the market really appreciates and i don't know why a lot of the bigger producers are kind of backing away from that and they've been putting out like their different ages as it goes through in those very small bottles the smooth ambler ones and that's been fun to try because you know it's exactly what's in there what's coming from there still and at some point they switch from a pot still to a column still and so that's kind of fun to compare those mm-hmm. two but you know give us something to try we like yeah. it so let's uh, let's move on. Uh, accelerated aging. Uh, what, uh, somebody explain explain <laughs> the idea only of accelerated. Only ACDC. <laughs> only ACDC. <All right. laughs> Me and Chris have done a lot of research into <laughs> <laughs> into the accelerated aging techniques, and we have not actually researched ACDC's impact on. We should. Aging, we should do a controlled I'm experiment. All for it. I'm betting it's going to make it a lot better. Yeah. <laughs> It can't hurt. Well, so the, the um, basic idea is you take something that's young and make it taste older than it actually is. And the oldest method that we've seen out there is almost like the barrel tea method. So you have your young distillate, six months to a year, whatever, chop up the barrel that it was in or a barrel of something that had older whiskey in it, put that in there, 
places do it a little bit differently. Like Cleveland uses an oxygenation technique and mixes it around. Comes out, it supposedly tastes older. Idea being more surface area on the barrel chip, you're getting more in and out expansion. It's not good. It has not worked. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to flip the question around. Which is the greater sin? Removal of the age statement or accelerated aging? I mean, as long as they're upfront about what yeah. they're doing, uh, uh, the accelerated aging techniques, okay, fine, whatever. I mean, educated and customer, basically. Yeah, the disappearing age statements is a greater sin, in my opinion. I, I don't even know if I can call it a sin. It's just really unfortunate. It's disappointing. It's you know, I, I understand econo- the economies mm-hmm. of the business necessitate some of those things, but it's really sad to see if you've been yeah. a bourbon fan. It for sounds more like than you're trying to get months. something over on your customers. Yeah, I mean, that's does. kind of what you're doing. Well, I, I did not see the price of Elijah Craig go down when the whiskey got younger, by right. the way. So exactly. No. Well, and this is something you see a lot in the craft beer industry now because there's such demand out there for barrel-aged uh, beers, and but there are only so many bourbon barrels. There yeah. aren't, uh, you know, it's it's very it's getting hard to get old bourbon barrels now for people to uh, to age their beers in. So so there are a lot of people out there trying to figure out what what makes that mm-hmm. flavor profile happen. What well, are those compounds? But they're yeah. starting to learn their lessons a little bit on that. That accelerated aging in a in a bourbon barrel beer is not always a good thing. It doesn't always mm-hmm. have the effect that you want. Yeah, I think that the distilling industry has yet to learn that lesson. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, the, accelerating aging it, it hurts the company that's doing it. Yeah, People will learn exactly. and mm-hmm. where the loss of the age statements hurts the industry. And yeah, it's a big difference. Yeah, yeah. and the only point. the only one that kind of excited us was Lost Spirits, which I don't know if you guys have heard about them. Yes. they have like a bomb reactor. They call it. It's this proprietary. I mean, bomb. it looks like a little metal sphere, like something from a James Bond movie. Um, and they've tried to take the science such that they actually esterify the short-chain fatty acids first, mm-hmm. so lengthening those, which give you a lot of the flavors. Then they put in charred oak, break that down to extract aldehydes and esters, get more flavor. And then they do a third step, which further uh, lengthens those chains into medium and long-chain uh, fatty acids. And they did a rum that supposedly had the same chemical analysis as a 30-year-old uh, historic sample in something like two years. It was a year and a half, two years. Right. So better liquor through chemistry. Um, exactly, which yeah. is the title of our article that we wrote about this. If you want to look it up exactly. on Bottom of the Barrel. Um, but that one sounds cool. I haven't tasted it. Supposedly they're going to be doing a bourbon soon. Um, I don't have much faith, but I enjoyed that they're actually like delving that deep into it and trying to figure out rather than we chop this up and we put it you know, in there, another There is a lot and, of effort yeah. and research going into it, and uh, I'm skeptical mm-hmm. of the ones I haven't tried. And I actually got to try one uh, sometime a number of months after we wrote our, our article going through all these things. Um, but Bonnie and Clyde. Oh, yeah. Not Bonnie and Clyde. Hatfield and McCoy. Yeah. One of those. Hatfield and McCoy. So they uh, use the TerraPure process. Which has bought the Charles Medley Distillery, by the way. So they're going to be putting out a product through them. I have tried something with a TerraPure, but it wasn't that. It uh it was good. It's not worth the $45 yeah. that they're charging for, but it was good. And then I got, you know, the, the owner was there at, at this uh, whiskey festival I was at in South Carolina. And it's made in Charleston. And they distill, you know, product. And they put it through the TerraPure process, which does magic stuff. And it looks it's a like Chick-fil-A, Chick-fil-A lemonade machine. Lemonade yeah. machine. <laughs> so that takes, you know, a couple hours or however long it takes. They literally then put it into a bag full of chopped up barrels. For 18 hours and they're done hmm. and it's very drinkable i mean it was it was very drinkable and it was uh interesting in that regard if they 
priced it lower, it'd be mm-hmm. okay. But but I'd love to do a blind tasting someday, like maybe next year at the mm-hmm. Classic or something, bring some of these in, a see if we can tell the difference. Yeah. Yeah. We, d- we did a blind tasting of uh, Cleveland oh, yeah. and Knob Creek. How'd that go? That's like not a fair oh, comparison. Yeah, I mean, you need to do something way lower on the shelf. I, well, I, I did that because that's what they said they really? they put yeah, they, no, they, they said they, they would put their up and, put it yeah. up against that. So and no, they didn't like the no result. Is what you're saying, <laughs> us, but that's okay. Another non-sponsor. The, yeah. <laughs> so let's do one more topic. Uh, let's talk about up and coming distilleries that people are excited about. Starlight Distillery. Starlight. Of, <laughs> uh, sorry, I'm so excited about this place. So they just started. They started distilling bourbon and grain spirits in... Everyone's laughing at me. I'm but laughing. I'm She's really so excited. excited. She's like, <laughs> they're sponsoring your site. That's yeah. why you leave oh. out your share, Melissa. <laughs> That's not true. No, I know, but I, you know, I thought they should be paying you as, oh, as much God. enthusiasm as you no, have. No, they're, really they're great friends. They make some fantastic bourbon at only two years old because they're doing all of the right things. They're not trying to shortcut the aging process. They're doing 53-gallon barrels. They're making it in good, wholesome ways. They're using their own corn from their own farms. It's just really, really great bourbon at the age. And they're also making fantastic gin, rock and rye, and all sorts of stuff. Unfortunately, it's only distributed to Kentucky and Indiana. So that's in wholesome ways, so they don't play ACDC. Yeah. They do not play ACDC to that the barrels as only far as I know. They play yeah. hymns. Hymns. Uh, what are uh, so? What are some others that people are excited about up and coming? I mean, Smooth Ambler I've been excited about for a long time, but yeah. I think they're now a player. I don't think they're up and coming anymore. Um, but the Peerless Rye that's got me me really excited. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to yeah. that. Up and coming. This is kind of cheating, but the Evan Williams Experience oh, downtown yeah. Louisville. They do. We got the opportunity last year with the Bourbon Classic to taste their one-year-old product. Yeah, Charlie Downs. already yeah. fantastic. Yeah, very good. It was I mean, amazing last year. They obviously put it in their sweet spots in the warehouses, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. that will be exciting whenever they eventually get around to so Along those I lines, I think yeah. the rye that we tasted at 10 months at Kentucky Peerless was yes, fantastic, yes. and I would... I will be more than happy to buy it. We all like that in case you can't tell. I'll be in line to buy that. I'm sure it won't be cheap, but I still want one. (laughs) I like Few Spirits. I've I've had some really good stuff from there, and I think they're going to... They're going to be doing some good things. I haven't had them, but their bottle design is gorgeous. I love mm-hmm. the old, old-timey medicinal-type bottles that they, they have. All right, let's. Uh, so one more, one more question. Anything anybody's excited about trying tonight? Tonight is the tonight is the grand tasting at the the Bourbon Classic, which means. Would you say just, what gives you a Bourboner for what tonight? Gives, what gives you a Bourboner uh, for tonight? No pepper bourbon cocktails. <laughs> <laughs> but anything in particular that is out there that you've not uh, not gotten your your hands on? I think most people here tend to get their hands on things that they they want to try. We saw some cases of Stag Junior downstairs, and that's mm-hmm. one of my favorites. Yeah, so I'm yeah. very very yeah. happy to sip on some. That's of that. exciting. Uh, yeah. I didn't have any of the Eagle Rare out of out of BTAC uh, this year, mm-hmm. so. Um, yeah, that's one thing that uh, I didn't try this this year's release. Yeah, I'm always curious to see what Wild Turkey's got, just because yeah. I love pretty much everything they. Oh, they, their new they single barrel rye. Have you had it yet? I have not, and so I'm looking forward to it's that. It's good. And, yeah, and every time I, I go to buy a bottle, I just can't pick which one I want, and uh, uh, so so I'm looking forward to just seeing what they've got. Um, and they're doing the Forgiven again, which I thought was actually I, I kind of I kind of liked it. I mean, it, it was different. It was a, uh, uh, but I'm curious just to see what they've got going on now. Yeah, I thought it was interesting was how everybody just drew a dead blank when you threw the question. I'm like, 
Wow, I've tried almost nearly everything that's <laughs> on the market. Holy cow. I, I I've got a really that. weird one. Like the Calumet, which they made a cocktail out of last night that's that was true. really good. I haven't had the bourbon, so I I'm mm-hmm. wanna try that. I saw some cases being loaded in yeah. downstairs, so we're happy, happy, happy about that. Huh. Awesome. Well, I guess it's uh, it's time to close it down. We got to go get some uh, get some bourbon drunk. So uh, I'm just going to go around and um, these pants have got to come off. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will be relocating my seat. <laughs> Closer Everybody, to Darren's so, lap. So let's uh, we'll just kind of go around. Uh, sips, suds, and smokes. Where can we find you? Hey, you can uh, find us on a lot of radio stations uh, almost all over the globe. We're on about 200 radio stations. You can reach us online www.sipsudsandsmokes.com. Our outlets online are on iTunes. Our native uh, host is Spreaker. You can catch us on... Um, we have our own Android app. We're on Stitcher. We're on YouTube. Uh, they are difficult just, to avoid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're on the internet. We're the, noise in your, we're the noise in your ear every week. So, yeah, definitely check us out. And uh, thanks for hosting this, Jonathan. Yeah. So Modern Thirst, where can we find you? We're at modernthirst.com, and you can find our new podcast on iTunes and several other... Um, Everywhere you find Pretty your much podcast. everywhere, yeah. Uh, bottom of the Barrel. Yeah, you can find us at uh, bottomofthebarrelbourbon.com. Uh, Twitter's a good place for us. We reply quickly if you've got questions. And we don't have any of these uh, sort of big fancy equipment or anything, so we can answer pretty quick and get it recorded. Uh, at Bottom of the Barrel, BOTB Bourbon, Twitter. That's it. And uh, so Bourbon and Banter, where where we find you? We're at www.bourbonbanter.com. Uh, and you can also find me, Melissa Alexander, at A Glass of History on Twitter. Nice. The Charlie Tonic Hour, where will we find you? We're, of course, at charlietonic.com and at bars all over the city of Cincinnati. <laughs> <laughs> passed, passed out in, uh, in alleyways uh, across, Actually, uh, across the Queen Actually, that's really rare for Jenny. Jenny, Jenny is a... Uh, she's a champion. Really? It was a nap. <laughs> it was a nap. Oh, she was, she was a champion. She was a champion. And Lazarus, I mean, she came back from the dead. From she the was, dead. She was, was, she was stunning. Party by the there should be a Berman named after her. That's really <laughs> yeah. Lazarus. Lazarus. Exactly. Lazarus. Yeah. The Phoenix. <laughs> that old, uh, they ought to name a Berman after you. Yes. Uh, I and uh, Eight Piece Box, you can find at 8piecebox.com. Uh, you can find uh, the podcast on iTunes. We have one episode up. This will be number two. Uh, and at Eight Piece Box um, uh, on Twitter and Instagram. You can also hear it uh, the first Wednesday of every month on 88.7 WMMT in beautiful downtown Whitesburg, Kentucky. So I uh, want to thank everybody for being here. Again, we want to thank Dan and the folks at Four Roses. want to thank Lorraine and the Bourbon Classic. I uh, want to thank uh, Mint Julep tu- Tours and our man Larry. I uh, want to thank Matt over at Haymarket. want to thank the folks at 8UP, um, Elevated Eatery and Drinkery. I don't know, 8UP. It was awesome. I uh, want to thank uh, the late, great Elmer T. Lee. Um, and <laughs> that's that was, about it. So That was the most important product at the table. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, check us all out. We're going to go drink some bourbon. We'll see you later. Cheers. 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 Cheers.